0: I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open them up to the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. I was thinking that Thursday, you know, is uh, prayer day. Every day is prayer day, but we pray at 6 o'clock on Thursday mornings in the choir room over in of Schillingers on our west side campus, and then we pray at 7 o'clock. We've been having a wonderful group at 6 in the morning, not a large group, but a great group. We've had to spend an hour in prayer and then... We pray together on, Tuesday, on Thursday nights for an hour, and it's been good. God is working, and we, we just sense the presence of God as we cry out to Him. This message today, um, the title is, What's Your Excuse? What is your excuse? Every verse that I'm going to use this morning but one, are the words of Jesus. Now, all the Bible is inspired, inspired word of God. But as I speak today on what's your excuse, you've got to understand every scripture but one comes straight from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus issued a clear, clear call to salvation. It was a clear call. And Jesus Christ made absolutely clear uh, what salvation really is. And, and you would think, well, you know, here Jesus is issuing a clear call for people to be saved and telling them what's involved when they are saved. You would say, man, everybody, they're going to be excited about the call of Jesus. He's giving them hope about their sins and hope for the future. Everyone's going to be excited about the call of Jesus. However, in two occasions, Jesus went into great detail about how people made excuses for not accepting his invitation. Now, the first one is John chapter 14, verse 26. I'm going to read these two. One is a parable, and one is an account in the life of Jesus where people gave excuses. And then we're going to talk about the clear call to salvation and what biblical salvation is and why in the world do people just make such excuses. Begin with me as we look in Luke 14, verse 16. Then he said, A certain man made a great supper and invited many. He sent his servant at supper time, to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Man, a free supper? You're invited? You said, man, they, they can't wait. No, listen. But with one accord, they all began to make excuses. Now, would you listen to their excuses? The first one said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I, I bought a, a lot. Bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. What an idiotic response. The ground wasn't going anywhere. I can't get into that. Let's just move on. Then another said, this was the excuse for not coming to the great supper. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you, have me excused. Still another one said, I have married a wife. Therefore I cannot come. I think she'd be there when he got back. He could take her with her with him. But they all with one accord just began to make an excuse for not coming to this great supper. They began to make So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out into the streets and lanes of the city, bringing in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, we have done as you commanded, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall come to my supper. Now that was a parable about excuses people made for not accepting the invitation to the supper. But then, there was another account, actual account in the life of Jesus. Turn back to Luke chapter nine, where Jesus was traveling down the road, and we're gonna see the excuses people gave on this situation. It's Luke chapter nine, verse 55. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to the cross. He was gonna go through Samaria, Samaria, and he went to a Samaritan town, and they did not receive him and so in verse 55 of Luke 9 it says but he turned the disciples said in verse 54 lord they haven't uh, they wouldn't receive you in this town shall we call down fire from heaven like elijah did on the on, on the prophets of baal and destroy them shall we just lord they didn't treat us right listen to what jesus said in verse 55 he turned and rebuked them You do not know what manner of spirit you have. You try want me to call down fire on this city and destroy him. He said, You don't know the spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. So they went to another village. Now, get this. It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said, you, you, you better know what it means to follow me. But then he said to another, he, he issued a call, follow me. Now listen to what his answer was. He had an excuse. Let me first go bury my father. You say, well, Brother Fred, that was a legitimate excuse but the truth is in those days what he was simply saying is my father's old and I'm going to go and take care of him and when he dies then I'll come and follow you but notice Jesus response he said well he said Lord let me go bury my father Jesus said well let the dead bury their own dead but you go preach the kingdom of God he had an excuse well I got to go stay with my father and another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to them who are at my house. See, I will, but not now. I got an excuse. I got, I got to go tell everybody goodbye. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Two classic passages where Jesus deals with excuses. Now, why in the world would a person want to ex- find an excuse to answer God's clear call to salvation? Why why, why? why? why come up with an excuse? Well, you need to understand that Jesus came with a clear call to salvation. In Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because it says in fifteen two that Jesus was a friend of sinners and ate with them. And the Pharisees got all bent out of shape. Look at him. He's eating and drinking with sinners. And then Jesus gave the parable. He said, let me tell you what. There was a man who had 100 sheep, 99 were safe. One was lost. But he went after that one lost sheep. And then he said, he brought him back and rejoiced. And then Jesus said, listen, there's joy in heaven. The angels of God rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents. See, Jesus said, I, I, I came on a salvation mission. He said, there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents and returns to God. Then he gave the parable of the ten coins, and the coin was found, and they rejoiced. And he said, let me tell you something. You're rejoicing because you found that coin, but you ought to see the rejoicing in heaven when a, one sinner repents. And comes back to God. So he, he came on a mission of salvation. Hey, he said it twice. He said it in Matthew 18, 11, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. He said, I'm on a mission. There's a clear call to salvation. He said it again in Luke chapter 19. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save Those that were lost. 1910, he was in Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus had repented and turned to God. And and Jesus said, look, it's why I came. To seek and to save those that are lost. So he came on a clear mission. There is a clear call in the life and the ministry, the mission, the birth, the sinless life, the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. There's a clear call to salvation. But it's a call to salvation on God's terms not on man's terms there's so much confusion today about biblical salvation that it's a wonder that anybody can really understand what it means to be a child of God let, let me just tell you what Jesus made absolutely clear about what was involved in being saved You see, Brother Fred, maybe we've been going to church all our life. We know it. But do we really know it? A lot of folks don't know it. You know, the first thing in the clear call to salvation that Jesus gave was a call to repentance. He called people to repent of their sins. It was a call to repentance. It seems like today people say, well, just believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus and everything's fine. Well, no, it's not. Repentance is precedes belief it does and so Jesus as a part of the clear call to salvation called people to repent let me just just think how clear it was in Matthew chapter uh, um, 9 verses 12 and 13 I want you to listen to what Jesus said Matthew nine twelve. then Jesus heard that when Jesus heard that he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. It's a clear call. In, Matthew, in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. You see, we hear a lot about believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And I do believe in that and receiving Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, hey, that's good. But we hear very little about repentance. And, and listen to what Jesus said in Luke 13, one through 5. The clear call to salvation was a call to repentance. Listen to what Jesus said. He said in, ver- in chapter 13 of Luke. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Gala- Galileans because they did such things? I tell you, unless you repent. He said, These weren't any worse sinners than anybody else. He said, But I'm telling you, unless you repent you will likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? No. They weren't. I mean, the tower fell on them, but they were no worse sinners than anybody else in Jerusalem. But he said, I want to tell you one thing, that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You see, the clear call to salvation, biblical salvation, is a call to repent. The word repent, there's a Greek word metanoia, which means, it means more than this, but it it means to change your mind. You repent, you change your mind about a certain thing. It means to change your direction. There there are some beautiful examples of what it means to repent, to change your mind, to change your direction. But let let me give you uh, something that you really need to hear. Repentance of sin and confession of sin are not the same thing. Repentance involves confession. For example, you sin. You you confess to God. Well, God, I confess that that's a sin. I agree with you. That's confession. But you don't turn from that sin. You keep on doing it. You keep on practicing it. That's not repentance. You confess something, but that's all you did. You just acknowledge, God, that's a sin. But there was no turning away. There was no turning around. And so that confession was just a confession. Repentance is you not only confess it, but forsake it. Here's the one verse that I'm using that didn't come from Jesus. It is one of the clearest verses in the Bible about what it means to repent. It's Proverbs 28, verse 11, I believe it is. It says, whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Now, you just heard about repentance. Whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. It's good. You say, but I confess that sin. But I want to ask you, have you repented of it? Have you turned away from it? You were walking in this direction, and, and, and you, God convicted you, and you confessed that it was a sin. And instead of continuing to go that way, you, you had a change of mind and a change of heart, and you started going in the direct, another direction. Repentance is not just the confession of sin. It is the turning away from that sin. But this is a pretty tough statement, but I guarantee you it is absolutely true. And I want you to think about it now but in the days to come. The only sin you've really repented of is the one you no longer practice. Well, God, I confess to you that I'm being dishonest here. But you keep on being dishonest. You you hadn't repented. But, Lord, I confess to you that that's dishonest and it's a sin. And by the grace of God, you stopped being dishonest. Guess what you did? You repented. You not only confessed it, but you turned away from it. And see today, you know, where's the message of repentance? Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to perish. And so I am saying that the clear call to salvation is not only that we agree with God that we are sinners and cry out for mercy, but we repent. And by the grace of God and the power of God, we turn away from that sin. The greatest il- There are two great illustrations that I love. One is Zacchaeus. Jesus went to his house. Zacchaeus was the biggest crook in in that part of the country. He was a tax collector. Now, I'm not saying tax collectors are crooks. But he was the biggest crook in town. I'm telling you. But Zacchaeus got saved when Jesus was at his house. You know what he said? Let me tell you how I know he repented. He said, Lord, I want you to know. I've stolen. He said, but i tell you what I'm going to do. Everybody I've stole from, I'm going to give them four times what I took from them. Zacchaeus not only confessed that he was a thief, but he repented. And he made right what he had done wrong. See, repentance is not only confession, but it's turning, it's forsaking that sin. But the classic one, of course, is the prodigal son. He went into the far country. He made a deliberate choice. He rebelled against his father. He rebelled against God. Went into far country, sinned against his father, and wasted his life. But on the side of the pig pen. The Bible says he came to himself. Responding to the conviction of God. He came to himself. He said I'm going to go back. I'm going to leave the far country. Step number one. He's going to leave the far country. I confess oh Lord I'm in the far country. And I confess I'm wasting my life. But I'm going I'm li- to continue to live in the far country. No. The Bible says he came to himself. He said. I'm going to go and I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against God. Hey, by the way, you know what repentance is? It's when you realize that your sin is not against just another person. It's against God. You repent toward God. It's called godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so the prodigal got up, left the pig pen, went back to his father and said, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Two times he said that. You see, he not only acknowledged his sin in the far country, but he forsook that sin in the far country and went back to his father and he lived a different life. Now you've got to understand that the clear call to salvation is a call to repentance. And many people will not answer the call of Jesus because they love their sin. And they don't want to leave their sin. I mean, really, they know it's going to cost them their sin. And so they say, no thanks. And they'll make an excuse. I'll tell you what some of them are, but none of them matter. But you've got to understand today that repentance is a clear part of salvation where we not only Cry out to God for mercy and acknowledge our sin to God, but we also, by the grace of God, confess it and we we turn away from it. We leave the far country and we go back home. But you know, this clear call to salvation is not only a call to repentance, and it is a clear call to repentance. In fact, Jesus said, "Let me." Before I leave this, John eight twenty four. He said, I'm going to go away, and where I'm going to go, you cannot come. And said, you're going to die in your sins. And then he went uh, went ahead and said to them, unless you believe I am he, you're going to die in your sins. He said, if you don't repent. But you know, the clear call to salvation is not only a call to repentance. But it's a call to an abundant life. We repent of our sin, repentance toward God, and faith in Jesus Christ. The call to salvation is a call to an abundant life. It's kind of like a great supper. Remember that they were invited to? It's a call to an abundant life. Because when we repent of our sins, and we come to Jesus, and we trust Him and Jesus only as our Lord and Savior, we experience the forgiveness of our sin... We've repented. We experience the forgiveness of our sin and the gift of eternal life. And it is a gift. And it's abundant life. It's abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10 the thief, the devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. By the way, that's what he does in people's lives. He kills, steal, steals, kills, and destroys. But he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The call to salvation is is, is the call to repent, but it's a call to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that results in an abundant life. The devil's lied. He says to lost people, man, you're having a wonderful time. There's pleasure in sin for a season. And the devil keeps feeding them the lies. And they just keep getting deeper and deeper. And he gets his hooks in them more and more. And they find themselves bound by their sin. And then this... Spirit of God moves to them. But, you know, they don't. Th- they think salvation, anybody that's saved, they think they're miserable, you know. They think they've been baptized in pickle juice and are sucking lemons. I mean, they got this idea. I mean, they, they think Christians are the most miserable people in the world. I want to tell you something. People who've been on both sides of the fence, and we all have been, some have been further on the other side of the fence further in the far country than others. But I guarantee you, once they meet Jesus Christ, they say there's no comparison. Life in Jesus Christ far exceeds anything the devil could ever offer me or ever give to me. And that's true. Man, what did you give up? What did I give up? I gave up hell. That's what I gave up. And I guarantee you, I've got life in Jesus Christ now. It's called abundant life. It's called forgiveness. It's called experiencing the life of Jesus in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But listen, Christ lives in me. It's salvation. And so repentance, not only confession, But crying out to God for mercy and asking God to set you free and you turn away from that sin and you turn to Jesus and Christ comes into your life and he forgives your sin and the guilt is gone and the shame is gone. And you're a new creation in Jesus Christ and and you, you are now experiencing biblical salvation because you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith And trust in Jesus only. And listen to me. It is not Jesus plus the church. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus the Lord's Supper. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus only. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And if you add anything to Jesus. You've already got into heresy. Christ only. They say you got Jesus. But he's not enough. Oh yes he is. But you know, as you think about this abundant life and as you think about Christ coming to live in us and us sharing his life. An eternal life in John 17, 3 is that we know you, the, on, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We know you, the only true God in Jesus whom you have sent. So that's eternal life. And it's experiencing the life of Christ in us. It's Jesus being divine and us being a branch and his life flowing into us and through us. But, but let me tell you about this salvation. This is what's so exciting about it. It's not only repentance of sin and, and personal faith in Jesus Christ that results in Christ coming to live in you and your experience an abundant life. But let me tell you what's exciting about it. This salvation calls us to supreme love. Did you know that? You know, th- this is not, we don't understand all of this when we're getting saved. You see, I believe when you are saved, if you're truly saved, if you've repented and received, when you're truly saved, Jesus comes in to live in you as Savior and Lord. Amen? Well, I took him as Savior here and Lord here. No, you didn't. You can't separate them. When Jesus comes in, he comes in as Savior and Lord. You say, but I, I didn't understand all that. I didn't either. But I promise you, once you get saved and once you're on the inside, God begins to show you all it means to be saved. And one of them is that a part of salvation is supreme love. That you love Jesus supremely. Let, let me give you a verse. Man, Matthew ten thirty-seven. I want you to listen to this. And, and, and you know, this, this is wonderful. This, this is not offensive to me. This is a great, great thing. You know, you you come to, you repent of sin and you come to Jesus. And in in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 37, listen to what Jesus said. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He said, if you love anybody more than me, you're really not worthy of me. He He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He said, man, you, I mean, a part of this salvation is you love me supremely, more than father or mother. He took the closest people to you, or son, or daughter. So this thing about being saved is, well, you know, I, I confess my sins and, and, and all that stuff, but now I'm just living for myself, I'm living for myself, and, and, and I'm just going my own, you know, I'm glad I'm going to have, listen, no, wait a minute, you don't understand You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And a part of that salvation is your call to love Jesus supremely. That's the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And you love Jesus more than father or mother or brother or sister or son or daughter or your own life. But also it is uh, a part of this salvation, not only repentance and abundant life, but not only this supreme love for Jesus, but self-denial. He goes on in the next verse of Matthew 10. He says, in verse 37, if you love father or mother, son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Oh, it's not just a matter, you know, of of getting saved and sitting down and I sit there until the rapture. (laughs) That's not it. He said, listen, this thing about salvation is you love me supremely, but you experience Self-denial. He said, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see, salvation is more than just, quote, making a decision. I mean, it, it involves your whole life. Your whole life. Your whole life. And it's not from 1030 to whenever I get through on Sunday morning. That's not it. Man, he says, you've got to love me supremely. And and you know what else it's a call to? It's a part of it. Salvation is a free gift from God, purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus. But after you know Jesus, you've repented and trusted him, then you find yourself loving him supremely. You find yourself denying yourself and really following him. And you find that you have a servant's heart. And you like Jesus when he took the disciples and he said, one of the last things he did before he went to the cross is he washed their feet, saying, now look, let me show you what you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have a servant's heart. And he washed their feet. And he said, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example. Let me say something to you, friend. A part of being saved is that of having a servant's heart. You've got a heart of a servant. We live in a consumer mentality today where people come to a, quote, religious building. They come to a church, and they say, what's in it for me, and what can you do for me? What we need to simply say, in the foyer, there is a bowl of water and a towel. And what we do around here is we wash each other's feet. I wonder how many would come back. We just wash feet. What does that mean? We're not selfish. We're selfless. That's all a part of salvation. That's what God does in your heart. If it hadn't been done in your heart, something's wrong. But you know, it's called to uh, supreme love, self-denial. That's all a part of salvation. It's part of what Jesus did in our heart. But uh, it's just a call to share his life. But you know, people, I'm I'm closing with this. This is what I wanted to get to, is... um, they begin to make, they they all make excuses. They make excuses. Now I want you to listen to the excuses. Clear call of God, Holy Spirit of God moves on their heart. They're confronted with Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. They're confronted with their sin. And, 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 And with one, Accord, they one accord they begin to make excuses. Begin to make excuses. Well, I, I've um, I, I I bought a piece of ground. Now he's already bought it, and I need to go look at it. He could go look at it after supper. He's already bought it. He's he's in. He's he's in. He's done put. He done paid for. It. He could have gone and looked at it after supper. Then you say, Brother Fred, what an excuse! It's no excuse. He he, he just loved. It. He just was all about self. I have bought some ground. It's all about he loved himself and loved his sin. That's all it is. Then the other one said, well, I bought five oxen. Well, he's already bought them. I need to go drive it. I mean, not drive it, but drive, I mean, whatever they do. I need to go follow that. That's a crazy. He's already bought them. The third one, I I got married. I can't come. I mean, he's already letting his wife tell him what to do. I mean, that's not good. But Jesus made it as absurd as he could. He made it as ridiculous as he could. So that we'd understand that there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Let me tell you the three I hear most of the time. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you why I'm not a Christian. I'll tell you why because there's so many hypocrites in the church. I had somebody that was a church member and I did business with them and they cheated me. Well, you know, here's my answer. Well, okay, so you're saying that there are hypocrites in the church and not everybody in the church has been is saved. Nobody's ever said all the church, people in the church were saved. Nobody said there weren't hypocrites in the church. Nobody's ever said that. Jesus had 12, and one of them denied him and betrayed him. Right? I said, well, okay, so you decided that you're not going to come to Jesus. You're not going to repent of your sins and come to Jesus because you don't want to go to church with the hypocrites. So what you're going to do, and you're going to die and go to hell and be, spend hell with the hypocrites for eternity. So you just go to hell and spend eternity in hell with the hypocrites. Wow. See, it's just like, the, I've got a piece of, I bought a piece of ground. I bought some. They're, they're ridiculous excuses. One of them says, well, i tell you why I, I, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. Have you read it? No. But somebody told me it was full of errors, and somebody said there wasn't a whale that swallowed Jonah. I mean, I mean really, that kind of junk. I mean, really, I don't believe the Bible. And they hadn't read it. They just take the other person's word. Oh, and here's a good one. No, it ain't a good one. It's awful. Well, all the church wants is my money. All they want is my money. Well, have you ever thought about Walmart? (laughs) I think they want your money too. (laughs) But the truth is, are you listening to me? Jesus Christ did not die for your money. He died for your eternal soul. Every excuse is this, I love my sin, I love my lifestyle, I ain't coming to the supper. That's exactly, that's all it is. And then the other excuse over there where Jesus told the man to count the cost, see, that first one, he said, I'll follow you, Jesus. He said, well, let me just tell you one thing now, foxes have holes. the birds of the air have nests. The Son of God has not a place to lay his head. Now, you know, and I'm not, being, I'm not picking on nobody, but you know, there is today abroad in, in America the prosperity gospel. Now, you don't preach the prosperity gospel in Ethiopia because ain't nobody prosperous. You understand? But there's the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus, and you'll have a new house, you'll have a Rolex watch, and you'll drive a Mercedes. Now, I'm telling you, they say, now, what you got to do is plant some seed. You plant some seed. And, and if you'll just plant some seed, well, you're going to come back so many times. And, buddy, you'll soon have a Rolex, a new house, and a Mercedes. But you know what? It just don't work. The only one that's got that is the one that's preaching it, the preacher. He's the only one that's got it. And Jesus made it clear. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to follow you. He said, well, let me tell you one thing now. You ain't going to have no Rolex. <laughs> And you're not going. And if you got a Rolex, I'm not picking on you. And and you know, if you have got a Timex, whatever, as long as it tells time. He said, I'm he said, I'm gonna tell you something. Foxes got holes. Birds there have nests. I don't even have a house. I don't even have. I don't even have a bed. But you know. There, there's there's a gospel preached called a felt need gospel. Come to Jesus and He'll do this for you and that for you. You better come to Jesus because you're a sinner and without Christ you're going to hell. I mean, it's not a matter of what you what Jesus can uh, what Jesus can give you. You better come and repent and receive the mercy of God. Amen. I mean, come on. But it's abroad everywhere. And people get into it and it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because it's a lie. And they get disillusioned. Well, and, and another part of that, and I, I'm, I'm just going to, it disillusions people. I'm telling you right now. This prosperity stuff. When Jesus said, it ain't, it ain't true. He said, you've you got to understand, most people that follow me, they just have very little. And those who have more than that, who follow him, know how to handle it. But, but, but it's, it, it, and there, there are those that would say this now, and I hadn't planned on saying it, but I'm going to say it, and then I'll, I'll give you two things to be upset about. Here, here's this one. If you just get saved and follow Jesus, you'll never get sick. No, no, you won't get sick. It'll just be in your mind. And when it, you just refuse it when it gets in your mind. Refuse it when it gets in your mind. I never will forget, I was visiting this guy right after I'd gotten converted in college. And he was laying there with a 103 fever. And this boy was sick. And I said, man, you're sick. He said, oh, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I said, you're not. He said, oh, no, no. That's just in my mind. Well, buddy, I'll tell you one thing. He sure was hot. That's all I got to say. I do tell you what's a wonderful promise. That if you're a child of God, Jesus is our healer. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. I mean, praise God. <laughs> Where's the first place you go when you go to Jesus, man? But don't, don't, don't tell a person the only reason you, you're sick, you've got sin in your life. All sickness is a result of sin. Everything in the world that's bad is a result of sin. Right? Jesus heals us, so Praise God. Well, I want to ask you a question. Where are you on your journey spiritually? Where are you on your journey? Have you repented? The only sin you've really repented of is the one you no longer practice. Have you repented of your sin? God gives you the power to overcome. The Son of God sets you free. You're free indeed. Have you repented? Are you trusting Jesus only? Only Jesus for your salvation, your forgiveness, and eternal life? Has there been a radical change in your life where you love Him and you no longer live for yourself and you have a servant's heart? Is there evidence that you know Christ? Folks, listen. Listen. A lot of religious people. The greatest surprise on Judgment Day. Religious people. But Lord, I went to church, I went on Easter and Christmas. Every now and then I'd send two or three dollars to the church. But Jesus said, I never did know you. You never repented. You never trusted me. You never lived for me. You never followed me. There was no evidence in your life. What's your excuse this morning? If you're not where you ought to be. If you're not where you ought to be spiritually. If you're not. If you're not saved. What's your excuse? If you're not loving and following Jesus with all your heart, here's the question. What's your excuse? What is it? Well, I got to go bury my father, or I got to do this or that. I mean, just what is it? What's your excuse? The Bible says that we're without excuse. Without excuse.